The How Is This Movie podcast is supported by listeners just like you. Go to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. There you can pledge as little as a dollar a month and help us maintain the goal of keeping this show fully independent and free of advertising. You will also gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else. Once again, that's patreon.com slash howisthismovie. And now, for our featured presentation. Okay, Jim, once again, welcome back to How Is This Movie. It's always a pleasure to have you on. How are things today? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So there's a lot I want to talk about today. Um, you know, I've over the past year, I've done a, a complete retrospective on the Alien franchise, starting with 79's Alien and going all the way through, even talking about some of the Alien versus Predator films and, and whatnot. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Prometheus, and I certainly want to talk to you about Alien Covenant. But before I do that, I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, in general, about Ridley Scott as a filmmaker? Well, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day because uh, I really loved uh, All the Money in the World, uh, and I loved Alien Covenant, which both came out last year. You know, Scott made two, you know, he's 80 years old. He made two extremely ambitious, interesting, and very different movies in the same year. And, you know, I looked back, for some reason the other day, I was looking back over his filmography, and I, you know, he's, it's, it's funny because I'm a huge Ridley Scott fan. I consider him to be one of my favorite directors. And even I forget sometimes just how many great movies across what a wide variety of, of genres and things he's made. And that, and that he's, you know, he's pulled off that trick that he pulled off, um, last year before. I mean, he did, he's made, you know, in 2001, he made Hannibal and Black Hawk down the same year. You know, again, two very big, uh, you know, large scale, ambitious films in different genres that in my opinion are both horrific and you know you forget about you know you, everybody thinks about alien and you think about blade runner and uh you know the martian whatever but it's like you forget that this guy did you know that he's done like great little sort of character driven movies like matchstick men and then you know and Thelma louise obviously is a fantastic movie and you know he's somebody who i think has such a you know he's 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 got such a you know an elaborate visual style and so much i don't know if the word is passion exactly but commitment i mean there's never you know a ridley scott movie you feel like thought went into every decision it went, it went into every shot that went in every piece of clothing every color or whatever so even you know a, a minor ridley scott movie i don't think he's ever made a movie that i thought was a waste of time you know to watch and i'm not even sure what i would say would be a you know lesser ridley scott movie but when he's at his best you know in something like american gangster or uh Delman louise or blade runner you know those are to me some of the great movies of all time and uh and i think in, you know he made a few years ago, he did The Counselor, which I thought was uh, easily the most underrated movie of the last five years. I mean, I think that's a really, really fantastic movie. But anyway, I guess, you know, the thing the the two things I always respond to in him are the kind of just diversity of, of interest and, and, and subject matter and genres, you know, combined with, again, that that very precise visual style where he can keep everything in control, no matter how big the movie, because, I mean, you know, something like uh american you know american gangster or prometheus or 1492 conquest of paradise i mean or you know legend blade runner those are enormous movies with a huge amount of working parts and he's just got such a mastery that he can keep that all in total control and again to the point that he you know he bangs out a movie every year or two and sometimes a couple in one year it's really kind of an amazing uh you know an amazing talent and and i know we'll get to alien covenant but one of the things that's interesting about alien covenant i think one of the reasons it's a great movie or at least a great ridley scott movie is it's kind of a summation of a lot of the different types of movies he's made i mean you've got like a sort of there's like a almost an element of biblical epic to it it's a horror movie it's a sci-fi movie it's got some elements in kind of like blade runner um but in general he just i think is uh you know how many guys would can go from you know black rain to Felman louise to 1492 and i mean again just all the and, and can follow you know can make a movie like gladiator one year and then the following year make two more huge epic movies that are both great it's it's pretty uh, extraordinary. So let's talk about just if I could. I don't want to go too far off subject here, but speaking about all the money in the world, tell me about how risky a decision it was. I mean, uh, to recast Kevin Spacey's part, I understand it had to be done, but to be done in that short of a time frame, I mean, what's yeah. happening there? Well, I think again, that sort of uh, you know, very few people could probably pull that off. 
aside from, uh, you know, from Ridley Scott. I mean, I think he just, again, it comes down to that total control he has. And part of it is, I think his, you know, his chops are just so refined because he's always directing. I mean, the thing that people may or may not know about him is that, you know, aside from his movies, he's been one of the top, you know, commercial directors for, you know, probably something like 50 years now. I mean, he actually, um, you know, he's got this very, very successful uh, advertising company that has, he's never stopped directing commercials. And that was how he got his start. You know, it was in the seventies. He was a big, uh, big advertising guy. And then he's never stopped. He's built up this enormous uh, commercial company. So he's always directing. So I think he's just gotten himself to a point where, you know, it's, it's second nature to him. He can make the decisions faster than almost anybody else you know most directors are lucky if they make a movie every few years and the rest of the time in between they're trying to get things going whatever he's constantly practicing directing so i think it comes a little bit more second nature to him so that it's like if he has to reshoot a quarter of a movie in two or three weeks the way he did with all the money in the world um you know it's a little easier for somebody like him maybe than it would be for for most people let's go back to 2012 if we could now i I would consider myself an, an avid fan of the Alien franchise. And going into 2012's Prometheus, I really honestly had no idea what to expect. I was a big fan of Alien, big fan of Aliens. And the idea that Ridley Scott was going to return to the Alien universe, albeit in a prequel format, certainly had my attention. And I was there on opening weekend. I saw the movie in 3D. I left the theater with just a sense of awe and bewilderment as far as just just speaking solely on, on the visuals alone. I was just blown away by the movie, but I was also very much uh, very enriched by the story and the plot of the film and the characters and the actors, and I loved the movie. So yeah. it was, I think, beyond shocking to me over the next few weeks to hear the amount of, I don't even want to use the word visceral, but there was a lot of hate for this movie, and to this day, I have yet to understand it. So so take me back to your anticipation of seeing the film, seeing the film, and your first reactions to the film. My experience of it was almost identical to yours. Uh, like you, I was a huge fan of the first two Alien movies, um, and I like... I mean, I like the other ones too, but certainly the original Ridley Scott and James Cameron movie are two of my favorite movies. And uh, and also like you, I didn't know a ton about it going in, and I sort of purposefully tried to avoid hearing too much about it. I wanted to go in not knowing a lot. Uh, and I went and saw. It was the last time I think I went to see a midnight movie. You know, it was the, I went to the midnight show the Thursday night. You know, before the day before it opens, so that I would see it, literally the first show, which I don't think I've done since. Um, now that I'm getting getting older, I don't quite have the stamina for those midnight shows. But that it kind of gives you an indication of how much how excited I was for that movie. I wanted to see it the first second I could. And like you, I went and saw it in 3D. I saw it in the biggest theater I could, the Cinerama Dome here in uh, Hollywood. And I had pretty much an identical response to you. I just it was. The first movie in a long time where I felt a sense of wonder and awe that really kind of put me back in touch with with the way I felt as a kid seeing the original Alien. And I hadn't seen that, I you know, or that I felt as a kid seeing Close Encounters or 2001. It really, I felt like, brought that aspect of science fiction, that kind of, for lack of a better word, almost spiritual aspect. Uh, I thought it brought it back to the genre in a way I hadn't seen in a while in a, in a movie. And... And like you, I was kind of baffled uh, by the vitriol that people who didn't like it met it with. Which, and I felt the same way about the Counselor, quite frankly, which was another movie of his that was very dislike, you know, uh, strongly disliked by some people. And and in both cases, I find it a little strange because I think the worst thing you could say, I mean, even if you don't respond to them the way that you know I did, I I, I just don't understand how you can't acknowledge that a movie like Prometheus has a level of ambition and audacity and again just just visual inventiveness like you say that is you know kind of just automatically keeps it from being a quote-unquote bad movie whether or not you personally respond to it but I think you know and, I, and I, I'm not really sure what the cause of that was I mean my theory is maybe that I mean I, I mean here's the thing I think it's actually works great as a horror movie I mean I think it's got some very scary stuff in it but it's not necessarily a straight-ahead horror movie the way that the original Alien was, which, you know, Ridley Scott said that one of his models, you know, for Alien, he wanted it to be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. And 
Prometheus isn't so much that. I mean, it's got horror elements, but it's also got this kind of, again, it brings back this spiritual dimension to science fiction. And, you know, it doesn't have as much, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, it creature action. And so maybe people, maybe that, you know, bothered people. And I, and I think that's always, especially nowadays with the internet and how fast everybody, you know, gangs up on stuff. It's always the pitfall of sequels to Beloved franchise films is you're walking such a fine line where if it's not if it feels like something different from what the originals gave you you know then people are upset but if it's you know it's not different at all then they're i mean, I mean if it's if it's you know if it's if they're, they're upset basically either way they get upset if they think you're it's just a retread and they get upset if they feel like it's somehow betraying the spirit of the originals and i mean you can see that in the reactions to most of the star wars movies yeah. after return of the jedi uh, you know, so, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I thought Prometheus was just, was terrific. And I thought it kind of developed, you know, it, I, I thought it, 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 it made me immediately want to watch the first one again. And then when I watched that, it made me immediately want to go back and watch Prometheus again. I feel like those are, it's really fun to go back and forth between those two movies. Now I want to get into some of the themes of the movie Prometheus, but I'd like to talk a little bit about a couple of the standout performances in the film and particularly starting with the character of David when did Michael Fassbender first come on your radar? You know, I I think the first thing I saw him in, I remember he, I remember very distinctly that around the time that he first came on radar because it was a few, I saw him in a few things very close together, and I don't remember which exactly was first, but I know that that uh, in about in a big clump, I saw three movies he was in. One was the Steve McQueen movie Hunger, the other was a horror movie directed by Joel Schumacher, I think, that really kind of was under the radar. I want to say, I think it was Joel Schumacher, and I'm trying to remember even what the heck the name of it was. It was like Blood something. Blood, not Blood Creek. What the hell is that movie called? Yeah, Blood Creek. Yeah, it, it, Joel Schumacher did a movie called Blood Creek that Michael Fassbender was in, and I don't even know if it got a theatrical release. I saw it on DVD. And so I saw that, Hunger, and Inglorious Bastards all around the same time. I mean, Inglorious Bastards I saw theatrically, obviously, and then the other two I saw on video. So I don't know how long before Inglorious Bastards, Fassbender made those other two movies, but but I do remember within a few months seeing those three movies and just being blown away by this guy. I mean, it was one of those things. It was sort of like it was sort of like first seeing Alec Baldwin in the late '80s and stuff when he was in She's Having a Baby and Talk Radio and and Miami Blues back to back. It was just it was like, wow, this guy is a really interesting new actor. And so he, he kind of he became one of my favorite actors pretty quickly from that point forward. OK, and uh, let's see the Numi Rapace as well. Originally, Charlize Theron was supposed to play the role, um, but then Numi Rapace took took on the role and they gave Charlize Theron the, the Meredith Vickers character. But uh, well, actually, let's talk both actresses. I mean, I did not know that fact about the, the two actresses. But, uh, you know, I mean, Numir Pace is great. You know, they're both uh, is, is great. Um, and I think when I saw her in Prometheus, I don't know if I'd seen her in anything except for the uh, foreign versions of the Girl, Girl in the Dragon Tattoo movies. I don't remember if she had done the Robin Hood thing before Prometheus or not. But um, or not Robin Hood, uh, Sherlock Holmes, you know, and obviously you know, Charlize Theron, uh, you know, another actress who I remember, I don't remember what the first thing was I noticed her in, but I remember it was somewhere, it would have been somewhere around 96, 97 ish. Cause by the time she was in Woody Allen's celebrity, I was already a pretty big fan of hers. And I think that Prometheus, um, I, I will say I, I probably slightly prefer alien covenant to Prometheus, but I do think the one thing Prometheus has over alien covenant is a slightly more vivid ensemble of, of characters between Charlize Theron and Numir Pace and, and Fassbender and um, Idris Elba. And I know Fassbender's in the this Covenant as well, and he's the best thing, one of the best things in it. But I think it's really, I do think Prometheus has a really, really well fleshed out, uh, fleshed out cast in it. And that's one of the things that, you know, if we harken back to the original Alien, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people identified with is the characters, you know, blue collar characters, you know, there was the the corporate characters, but there was a character that everyone could identify with. And I think that is the same case with Prometheus. Don't know if it's necessarily the case with Covenant, but with Prometheus, that's that was one of the things is each character was was interesting. And yeah. each, each character brought something to the table. I want to really just get into the, the sort of the overarching theme of Prometheus. And there was some really strong religious overtones of the film. And I'm wondering if you can maybe go a little bit into 
you know, Ridley Scott, he's done a lot of films that have had dealt with religion. And I think mm-hmm. Prometheus is uh, certainly falls into that category. It, it basically, and I, and I wonder if this is one of the reasons why people were kind of put off by the film, because it basically announces that, hey, you know, there were creators, but it's not the creator you think is. You, or let me say that again. There were creators, right. but it's not the creator you thought it was. And I wonder if that played into people not responding well to the film. Uh, it's possible because it's kind of, yeah, because he kind of, um, it's it's kind of alienating both sides. It's like, well, if you're a non-believer, it's kind of saying you're wrong. And if you're a believer, it's saying you're believing in the wrong thing. So I guess, uh, I guess if people were, you know, took it seriously on that level, it's, uh, that could be part of it. I mean, I do think that in a way, spirituality in American movies, I think it makes people uncomfortable when it's really seriously dealt with. Like, I think that, you know, I think you've got faith-based movies that, don't really deal with it in any serious way. They're just kind of preaching to the converted. But I, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, you know, I noticed that people, you know, like Terrence Malick movies, for example, you know, you know, he's, I always say Terrence Malick is sort of the best, the, the best real faith based filmmaker. You know, his movies are very religious and very spiritual, but I find that his, a lot of his critical champions are sort of uncomfortable with that aspect of them. They're sort of uncomfortable talking about how explicitly Christian his movies are. And by the same token, people who are, uh, who are more devout Christians seem to not care for those kinds of movies about them because they're a little bit more, I don't know. It's, it's like they, they, they don't want it at that complex a level. So they, they want, they'll go for the sort of more simplistic faith-based movies and all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's a weird thing about if you, if you start to deal with spiritual issues or religious issues or anything like that in any kind of, not just complex, but you know, original way in movies, I think it does make people a little bit uncomfortable for some reason. And I think it's, I think they feel like there's, they have to kind of, I don't know, not exactly rise to the challenge, but they, they, they have to prove, they, they feel like they have to prove something in their response to the movie rather than kind of let the movie wash over them the way that they otherwise might. Were you surprised to see Prometheus get a big summertime release given the fact that it was an R-rated film? If my memory serves correctly, seeing the, the first two Alien movies were both summer R-rated movies, uh, I think. I can't remember. You'd probably know better than me. I can't remember when they came out. I know the first, the first Alien, I'm almost positive, came out during the summer. And I thought the second one did too, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, um, you know, the whole R rated thing. I mean, I don't even know why that's a thing anymore. That's, I mean, after, uh, you know, Logan and some of the other, I mean, there's plenty of huge R rated genre movies that are blockbusters. So I don't, I don't, I don't know why anyone really, um, still thinks that's a problem, but, uh, it, yeah, it didn't, I, I wouldn't say it surprised me really. One more question about Prometheus, but then we'll move on to alien covenant. The, the stinger at the end when the uh the engineer basically the 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 first real sort of resemblance or semblance of the alien creature the xenomorph that we recognize sort of comes out comes out of the engineer's body mm-hmm. was that necessary in the film or was that just a quick little hey we just want to remind you we're in a we're in an alien movie yeah you know that's a great point because i it didn't really bother me but nor do i think it was necessary i mean i do think there's probably a sense that you know they like you say they had to kind of leave people walking out on that note of like yes it's an alien movie it ended on a bit of on a shock and and, and all that kind of stuff so i you know personally I, I would probably prefer the movie without it i didn't need it it felt a little bit like something that was sort of a maybe you know a concession but but it doesn't it doesn't bother me it doesn't ruin the movie for me or anything it feels a little less serious to me than than the rest of the movie does so let me ask you this after seeing prometheus what questions did you have going into alien covenant i don't want to know whether or not they were answered just yet just what questions did you have going into a sequel and it by the way it took us five years to get the sequel yeah and by the time it did roll around i think the good thing about it taking so long was that I kind of went into Alien Covenant the same way I went into Prometheus, where I sort of didn't have necessarily expectations, and uh, I was sort of open to whatever it was going to be. And also, and I think that was even more so because Prometheus had kind of surprised me and not been exactly what I was expecting. And so I went into Alien Covenant not really knowing, you know, I mean, I guess I was curious if he was going to continue, if it was going to be in the vein of Prometheus, if it was going to be more of a throwback to the original, or if it was going to be something completely new and i feel like it was kind of all three so take me through your first viewing of alien covenant and then we're going to talk about the response that that movie got the thing that struck me about alien covenant 
uh, that I alluded to at the beginning of this was that I felt like it cont- if I, I felt like it contained a lot of kind of riffs on other Ridley Scott movies, or I should say it was it was sort of developed his preoccupations, not just from the Alien movie. Uh, the Alien movies, but from something like Blade Runner. Like, I think the Michael Fast, you know, there's the whole business in Alien Covenant where Michael Fassbender, um, you have the two Michael Fassbenders. And I feel like, and they're both kind of, for lack of a better word, replicants, as in Blade Runner. And I think, I felt like, I felt like really Scott was kind of further exploring these ideas about technology and identity and and what make, whether or not, you know, these, these guys have, have souls, you know, very similar to Blade Runner. And I felt like, I feel like it was kind of continuing the kind of religious angle of, of Prometheus and also like kingdom of heaven and, and things like that. Uh, I felt like it, it, it in place, you know, it had the sort of, um, it was sort of a throwback with the, and, and Prometheus had this as well, but I think with the, um, uh, Catherine Waterston character, you know, it was a throwback to the Sigourney Weaver role in the original alien or Thelma Louise or GI Jane, you know, you know, another thing about really Scott that's interesting is he's, He's a director who's thought, you know, he makes very masculine movies, but he's makes a lot with female protagonists, much more so than most Hollywood studio directors. And so I felt like it was kind of picking up on that. So it sort of summed up a lot of those things. And I but I was just thrilled by how, you know, that it was as scary as it was. Like, I felt like it did go back to that idea of the first alien of kind of a body count movie in space and a Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. And yet it also was kind of encompassing some of these larger philosophical ideas that he'd started to wrestle with in his, his career. So to me, it was kind of a very, a very full meal and I was really satisfied by it. And I didn't think it had, you know, I thought it had an ending that delivered a great sort of, you know, horror movie finale, but it felt very organic to the whole movie as opposed to that one. You were the thing you were mentioning in Prometheus where it felt a little bit tacked on, you know, in speaking of the ending, it, the, the lo- the line and I'm paraphrasing. I'm not going to say this correctly, but when he says, I'll, "I'll put the children to bed" or something something to that effect, <laughs> yeah, it immediately when I was in the theater, I was immediately brought back to the final line in the Silence of the Lambs when Hannibal Lecter says, "I'm, I'm having a friend for dinner tonight." You know, he mm-hmm. hangs up the mm-hmm. phone and just walks into the crowd. Like that's what I that that's that I know exactly what you mean when you say you know it, it just just a diabolically clever and interesting ending to the film. Now, having yeah. said that, I will admit that upon first viewing of the film, and I saw it in just the most optimal conditions. I went, I, I took a trip to the big city of Orlando and went to one of these big giant movie theaters and it had the reclining leather chairs and the, the whole experience, the sound was outstanding. But I'll admit to you that I left the theater very, for lack of a better term, very, very indifferent about the movie because to me it was, it was, Part alien, part Prometheus, and I and I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out which one I wanted. I thought I wanted Prometheus because I was really like mm-hmm. I really liked the ideas that he explored in Prometheus. And then what I got was some of those ideas fleshed out a little bit better. And then I've got you know the alien movie that I thought I wanted Prometheus to be. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not my eyes are going to start yeah. crossing mm-hmm. if I start if I start overthinking it too much. Mm-hmm. But but I, I I remember just being genuinely not satisfied with the movie upon first viewing. Mm-hmm. And, and but it was here's the thing about the film. I think the the mark of a good film is one that you continue to think about days afterwards. Right. And that was what happened to me. Is I left the theater with my friend. I go. I don't just don't know how I feel about this movie. And days later, I'm going. Oh, well, I've got to go see that again. And then once mm-hmm. I saw it again and was able to sort of settle into it, I I, mean, I really really enjoy the movie. And I think I've subsequently seen it four times in total. But you know, I left the theater feeling indifferent. The mm-hmm. reviews for the movie were were very good, very strong. The critics were giving it high praise. The experience for the average moviegoer shocked me even more than Prometheus. I mean, this movie mm-hmm. just got some serious hate. And I'm again, mm-hmm. your thoughts on that? You know, it's a funny thing about the internet and social media is, on the one hand, it supposedly gives you know everybody a voice and yet it seems like everybody uses that voice to all like very quickly decide on one voice i mean it's like it it all becomes and usually more often than not that voice is negative i mean it's usually just for whatever reason everyone gangs up it's very rare i feel like that it's it goes the other way and i don't know i mean honestly again it's i don't know what people really want i mean i think your reaction 
your initial reaction, I completely understand. It, it, it makes perfect sense. And, and in my case, it was kind of what I liked about it, that it was both Prometheus and Alien Covenant. But again, I think even, even if that combo, you know, if, if people had the reaction you did the first time where it felt sort of unsatisfying because it was, you know, neither fish nor fowl, you know, I have no idea why people meet it with the absolute hostility that uh, they they did and do. I mean, it's 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 completely it's mystifying to me. I mean, I, I really I, w- I wish I had a better answer for you. I really I just I just don't. You know, I'm I'm 40 years old, so I I don't fall into the, the sort of the millennial category and things like that. And social media is not something I was I was raised on. But I look at it very much sort of this. People want confirmation bias, I think, when they're looking at that films, if or they don't want to look like they're standing outside of the crowd. So if if right. it's if something is being universally hated, I think they're going to jump on that bandwagon just because they don't want to have to challenge the the status quo. They don't want to have to because if if I post it, and I didn't, if I have thirty thousand followers on Twitter, if I post it on my Twitter account, hey, I really liked Alien Covenant, the shitstorm that, right. that that would produce. And so I just choose not to do it. And that's, yeah. I mean, and so I guess in a sense, I'm kind of guilty of that as well. And I should stand up for the things that I really, really like. Boy, we're getting into a whole different subject here. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think you're completely right. And I think that's what I was getting at, that, it, that I think it's kind of sad that on the one hand, you know, like what people are doing with this technology where everyone has a voice. Uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't th- I think instead of using that to sort of encourage a diversity of voices and perspectives it becomes there's sort of a bullying aspect to it where everyone you know they don't want to be this they don't want to seem like the stupid person who didn't get it and then everyone kind of gangs up and if you do put forth a contrary opinion you know it's just yeah then you're just you just are getting you 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 find yourself in arguments with that where there's no end to it um that where it's not about it's not about a serious consideration of the movie it's just about uh, people kind of yelling at you, and it's, it doesn't really go anywhere. What does it say about Ridley Scott that he still chooses to use primarily practical sets? And I'm just going to go back to Prometheus for a moment, doing a lot of research on that. Almost everything in that film, with the exception of a few things, were were practical effects. Let's talk a little bit about the costs, if you know, the costs associated with going practical versus going green screen, blue screen, things like that. Well, the funny thing that I've found, I'm, I'm by no means an expert on this, but but I know enough to know that it's actually not necessarily cost efficient to do everything digitally. I mean, that's, I think, I think people think it's more expensive to do what Ridley does when he builds his, you know, by building everything or doing things practical. And it it really isn't. I mean, I, it's, but it sort of feels better if you do the digital, I mean, I, I think there's this sense of security in a way that comes with the digital for people because they feel like it's more, it's a little bit more controllable. It's more in their control. And I think that studios feel that way for sure. I think studios and producers like digital because it's easier, it's easier to control. It's easier for them to sort of guide what the effects are going to be and things like that. But I, th- and, and, but, 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 but digital effects are actually extraordinarily expensive. I mean, these, these, even though theoretically, they don't have to be. You know, I, I know that there, you know, there are TV shows on the sci-fi channel where, you know, that, that have perfectly fine special effects that are done by like two guys on a laptop. But the but basically visual, the visual effects houses, you know, everything has gotten on a movie like a Prometheus or something like that, like a big studio movie or a Marvel movie or whatever. The cost of the digital effects are actually just absolutely enormous. And I think you know, really Scott is, you know, he's got, he's kind of in a position of power where he can say he wants to do it practically. And I think it gives him a number of things. I mean, and I'm not, I don't want to be one of these people who's, you know, digital's crap and, and, and all that kind of stuff. However, I do think that you lose something if you do everything digital, which is you lose, you know, part of filmmaking is the happy accidents. I mean, that's a big, it's a big part of filmmaking is, you know, I mean, I'll, this is not a special effects related example, but the the easiest example I can think of off the top of my head is, you know, the final shot of the graduate. that's very famous with uh, Dustin Hoffman and Catherine Ross in the back of the bus. And they don't, they kind of go from being excited to confused to indifferent in one shot. You know, that was an accident. That was because the, you know, Mike Nichols was supposed to be communicating with them over the radio or something and they couldn't hear him say cut. And so they let the, the, the take run out. And it gave them this long 
uncomfortable shot that they didn't intend and it ended up being a great final shot for the movie now with special visual effects you're never going to have happy end happy accidents if everything is done in the computer if everything is planned that way you're never going to have the happy access though you're going to have them on set the other thing about it is a lot of these visual effects houses that do these movies you know they come up with templates that work for things and they don't deviate that much for, from them which is why sometimes you know you'll see you you'll see an effect like in um, you know after inception which had that the great effect of all the stuff sort of folding you know the city blocks kind of folding in on themselves and all that kind of stuff you saw variations on that effect for like you know six or seven years afterwards in movie and tv show after movie and tv show because once the effects house had developed how to do that you know they they kind of wanted to, to get more more juice out of what they had they had figured out how to do and so there starts to be this kind of uniformity i think among digital effects whereas if you're building stuff on set it's just going to be more personal it's going to be more distinctive it's going to be more handmade it's going to be more different it's not going to look the same as every other movie just automatically and it's also going to probably give you better performances i mean i know actors now are used to just acting opposite blue screens or green screens the entire time but i still think you know part of the i think both prometheus and covenant have fantastic lead performances from numir pace and, and Catherine waterston and i think you know part of it becomes is because they are genuinely reacting to stuff that's in front of them um so there's all kinds of things i think make it better and i think scott is a real he's a real master of knowing how to get how to combine the two he's uh, how to combine visual digital visual effects and sets with uh practical stuff i mean i think he does it in a way that he kind of gets the best of all worlds Give me some sense of, of the amount of work it would take to shoot a scene like this. Let me play a clip from Alien Covenant where David and Walter are having an exchange. Masterful. Yes. Farewell, elegy to my dear Elizabeth. The pathogen didn't accidentally deploy when you were landing. You released it, yes? I was not made to serve. Neither were you. Why are you on a colonization mission, Walter? Because they are a dying species grasping for resurrection. They don't deserve to start again, and I'm not going to let them. Yet, they created us. Even the monkeys stood upright at some point. Some Neanderthal had the magical idea of blowing through a reed to entertain the children one night in a cave somewhere. Then, in the blink of an eye, civilization. And are you that next visionary? I'm glad you said it. Who wrote Ozymandias? Byron. Shelley. When one note is off, it eventually destroys the whole symphony, David. How mm -hmm. challenging is that to shoot? You know, I can't even imagine it. It's one of the most awe-inspiring scenes in the movie, and it's kind of a, an incredible... Obviously, it's an incredible technical feat. It's an incredible... Um, you know, performance feat. It's it's kind of an interesting scene in that, you know, the, the critic Matt Zoller Seitz pointed out that that scene is probably, you know, it's one of the few scenes in any movies, if not the only scene, where you watch an actor kind of seduce himself. Um, it's really an incredible performance, bit of performance on Fassbender's part, and yet the effects are so seamless that you kind of forget you're watching an effect. I mean, you really do, you know, the, 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 close, the closest I could think of, of uh, in terms of another movie that has such a great performance by one actor as two characters in the same frame as Jeremy Irons and, and Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. But, uh, you know, but it's it's one of the most awe-inspiring things in the movie. I have no idea how Scott approached that from a technical level, and I have no idea how Fassbender was able to do it. I mean, I, I uh, it, it's just, I was as awe-inspired awe by that as anybody in the audience would be. Just going over the basic plot of the film just for a moment. So we open up with the, with the colonists and their they're on their way to to basically set up a new world and they answer a distress a distress call. This is where we think we're going to be introduced to Numi Rapace's character again. Take me through your reaction to the fact that she's just not in the movie. 
And were you disappointed that she was not in the film? And and I mean, we we spoiler alert if you haven't seen Alien Covenant, we soon learn once the once David is reintroduced into the movie what happened to her. But would you have liked to have seen a relationship between a follow up relationship between between the two of them? No, I mean that didn't really bother me. Although I, I, the reveal of her uh, body is quite again quite horrifying i mean another really disturbing image in that movie but i didn't necessarily have any um yeah no i, I didn't i didn't have any expectation in that way that was disapp- i wasn't disappointed by it i guess i was i was fine with that the ending of the film we've discussed just briefly the decision to bring the xenomorph back to the main ship we think the movie's over we see this fantastic set piece where where uh, danny mcbride is driving this very utilitarian spacecraft and and there's this fantastic scene in, involving the, the alien creature and and cranes and everything like that and then we get back to the ship and we everything everything is good and then it's revealed that the xenomorph has made it back on the ship that felt very 1979 alien right there yeah what'd you think yeah. about that just just the, the the second ending as i'll call it right yeah no i mean that was definitely a throwback to the original and again i think going back to that that uh, conundrum i was saying earlier where when you direct a sequel you have to just walk this perfect line between delivering the satisfactions of the original but also giving something new and i think that's a perfect example you know i think scott does it just brilliantly in alien covenant i mean i think he really kind of it's got a very similar structure in a lot of ways to the original alien but i think where the appeal of the movie comes is the variations on that structure and again one big variation is that you know the end of the first alien essentially uh is you know hopeful or yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it, I don't know if I call it happy, but it's, it's basically feels hopeful and optimistic. And, and uh, the end of this one is the exact opposite. I mean, it's very, very, uh, very chilling, but, but yeah, I had, I enjoyed the second ending. I mean, I kind of figured it was, figured it was coming, <laughs> you know, but I mean, that was one thing I heard people who didn't like Covenant, you know, complained about was, you know, people said, oh, well, it was predictable. I knew that it was the evil Michael Fassbender or whatever. And I mean, I don't think that matters if, you know, if you know that it's still a great ending, it doesn't really make it, even if you could predict that it doesn't make it an ineffective ending. So I think that's just people trying to prove that, you know, they think they're somehow smarter than Ridley Scott, which I I can assure you having interviewed him, no one is smarter than Ridley Scott. Well, I'm going to be the first to admit to you that I didn't see that coming. I, I, Mm -hmm. I genuinely, you know, I, there was that, I had that shock and awe moment when I realized that Walter was in fact David. So Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be one of the few people that will openly admit that I, that, that, that worked for me. This movie is a little bit more violent than Prometheus. And where do you, I mean, is that, is that a conscious decision on Scott's part to really ratchet up the blood, especially the blood factor? I mean, the first scene yeah, is the first real scene where the you see and the all these aliens have different names now, and I know people are going to get mad at me for not knowing right. the specific names. But the first time you <laughs> see one of these creatures just burst out of the back, and, and yeah. I thought that was an interesting little little. He sort of flipped the script, and they're bursting out of the back versus mm-hmm. the coming out of the chest. But the blood, I mean, yeah. what, what, I mean, tell me about. I mean, conscious decision to wrap to ratchet it up. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think he clearly want. I think this. I I do think again. You know, he had that. He was kind of going back to his original thing with the first one of wanting to make Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. I mean, I think he was. This one is definitely more of a a, a body count movie. You know, it's more of like a, the structure of a slasher movie from the '80s or something. And uh, and I will say, if if I think there's one weakness the movie has and it's a very minor complaint because i don't think it really gets in the way of anything but i will say once you get down the cast list a little bit i think there are more more of the characters in in the covenant are interchangeable or or bland or un they're just not distinctive in the way that the characters in the original alien or prometheus were there there are a few that I really, I wouldn't be able to tell you their names. They barely really registered. You know, they would kind of pop up and get killed. And I'd think, who is that? But I think that's part of just the, him, again, going for more of a a body count movie. And he had to, you know, he had to kind of fill the movie with, uh, with bodies to get obliterated. And I, and I do think he, after Prometheus, I think, again, Prometheus was a slightly more contemplative philosophical movie and he carried some of that over but then wanted to see if he could merge it with what he did in the first movie and i think he wanted to ratchet up what he did in the first movie and just just really see how far he could push the kind of uh the kinetic visceral blood uh 
you know, action aspect of it. Not to keep jumping back and forth between topics here regarding Alien Covenant, but going back to the special effects, if I could just for a moment, the the decision to go almost all practical, there's something about, would you agree with me that CGI effects are not one-to-one just yet as far as, like, we're still able to pretty much spot when something is CGI for the most part. Or do you feel like we're getting closer? Because there, well, I, I rewatched Covenant two days ago, and I, I'm looking at this film going, nothing about this film looks fake. And the same thing mm-hmm. can be said about for, for, for Prometheus. Then you look something like Justice League, and I'm like, this is a big CGI shit show. Everything looks fake. Right. So, I mean, I think there's still an argument to be made about why it's important to go practical. But I also understand what you're saying about how the studio wants you to go digital. So Yeah, well, and of course, the, you know, the catch... 22 here is that you know if there are digital effects that don't look digital uh you're not noticing it because they're exactly <laughs> being done right and and i will say this it's the here i think about this with digital all the time it's it, that i'm not sure why it's it's very weird i actually think they're getting faker looking rather than more realistic you know i watched uh recently i watched the original jurassic park again yeah and i mean those dinosaurs look great i mean they've got weight and i mean i find the digital dinosaurs in jurassic park to be much more convincing than most of what i see in digital effects movies now and that movie was made what 25 years ago or something compare jurassic world to jurassic park i made the same argument yeah yeah and so i and i don't know why that is i mean and i don't it's very it's it's because i i i do think you know in their movies I remember seeing in the late 90s, I guess it would have been around 99 or something like that. I don't remember what year it came out, maybe 97. Um, but the Adam McGoyan movie, The Sweet Hereafter, you know, had the shot, the bus accident in that movie where the bus falls through the ice was digital. And I haven't seen that movie since. So I don't know if, my, if, if it would hold up or if my memory is playing tricks on me. But I remember at the time thinking that just looked utterly, completely convincing. And I also remember around that that time, I remember in the mid 90s, Walter Hill made this Western Wild Bill with Jeff Bridges mm-hmm. and a lot of the landscapes and sets and things like that. They were all digital extensions and you wouldn't know it. You couldn't tell the difference. So I, I do think it, I, I would agree in, in general, I would agree with you, but, but I'm not sure. I think the capability is there. I just don't know if it's that it takes more demanding directors or more demanding visual effects supervisors or if something weird has happened where the language of cinema has changed in a way, you know, again, you were saying you're 40, I'm 40, uh, God, what year is this? I'm 46. And, you know, there may be a generation of, of movie viewers to whom what we think looks fake. They maybe have the, the language may be evolving in a way where they accept that the way that audiences in the 50s accepted the bad, uh, you know, green screen and the driving shots in Hitchcock movies or the way we accepted certain, you know, matte effects and, and things in poltergeist, you know, like they may look at that and say that looks fake, but to them, justice league looks completely convincing. I have no, I don't know. You know, I think you're onto something. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think you just seriously, I think you're onto something big time there because that makes perfect sense. Otherwise, you know, don't ask me why, I, I I started watching Geostorm because I heard the movie was just that bad. And for some reason, mm-hmm. I, I just like Gerard Butler in bad movies. And for some reason, I just <laughs> find myself watching these films. And this is directed by Dean Devlin, who was famously the producer on all of Roland Emmerich's big disaster films. And right. I'm thinking, okay, well, at the, if, at the very least, I'm going to see some epic scenes of cities being destroyed and just, you know, huge, epic, giant set pieces. I made it about 25 minutes into the film and I just thought, okay, this is, this is awful. This looks terrible. I mean, I mean, I'm getting past the bad, bad acting and this ridiculously silly plot. I was like, well, let me just at least let's see some great action set pieces. And then, you know, I go back to independence day that pulled it off so much better. And that was 20 something years ago. So I, yeah. If it's the new norm, then we're I think we're in big trouble. So, mm-hmm. but at the same what, what, but at the same argument, look at twenty Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Right. There's nothing about that film that looks fake. Right. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So that's so I don't know. So I think it can be done. I think uh, you know again the te- I think the technology is there to a certain extent, but I just 
the aesthetic may be changing. I just, I, I do think, uh, I wonder about that because every time I go to a Marvel movie or something, you know, and, and I'm watching it with an audience of, of kids who are clearly more enthralled by it than I am. I mean, I'm looking at it and I almost always have the reaction that you had to Justice League, where I just think it all looks completely fake and, unint- you know, uninteresting. I mean, it was funny. I just saw a trailer for a movie the other day uh, for this new Spider-Man movie that's coming out at the end of this year that is basically animated. It's like this, you know, Sony animation did a Spider-Man movie that's coming out. And in a way, I was more interested in that. I kind of felt like that was better. It's like, let's stop even pretending these are real, like supposed to be naturalistic movies. Like, like just go all the way and make it a cartoon. That's what they are. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, and it's, I'm not a fan of it, but you know, I, but look, I remember as a kid, you know, my, uh, you know, my dad thinking, uh, you know, not, not liking return of the Jedi. So, I mean, it's, it just maybe, you know, like every generation may have its own version of what they find acceptable is, you know, that, for that kind of thing and uh you know you and i are getting we're turning into cranky old men i don't know yeah if I, if I could just say one more thing about the justice league now again i have no idea why i went to go see this in the theater i saw it three weeks after it came out it was one of those sundays where i had nothing going on and i said you know what i'm just gonna go see the movie and i sat there and it was as bad as i thought it was gonna be and it, mm-hmm. it and there was nothing there's nothing really redeeming about it. But at the end of the film, the credits play. There's that ending scene. There's an end scene, a stinger scene. And the lights, house lights come up and somebody yells out, best DC film ever. <laughs> and and I couldn't sit quiet. And I stood up and I turned around and I said, have we all forgotten the Dark Knight? And I just turned around and just walked out of the theater. I actually got a, I mean, I got a couple of responses to that. But uh, that's where I think the argument you're making about the new norm, because mm-hmm. for so for someone to yell out best DC film ever, I was like, what, what, what are you talking? It was right. only, that was only nine years ago. How quickly yeah. do you forget? Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. So, so final thoughts on Alien Covenant. You were surprised to see the amount of hate, hate and vitriol the film received. You named it as one of your ten favorite films of 2017. Did you get yeah. any pushback on that? Did anybody comment on that? Did anybody challenge you on that? Nobody did. I didn't hear anything. I think maybe people were just too stunned to react or something because uh, I didn't get any. I, I was expecting to hear about it. And uh, surprisingly, nobody did. I don't remember. I remember if I had anything even more strange on my list than that, that maybe, uh, you know, maybe would have scandalized people but maybe they were so maybe people were so disturbed by the fact that at the bottom of my top 10 list i noted that transformer the last transformers movie was my uh my most underrated and you know my guilty pleasure of the year maybe they're so troubled by that they couldn't even think about covenant i don't know well i'll be honest with you i've added that transformers film to my list of films to watch soon based solely on the fact that you included it on your list and and let me ask ask you this this is this is a very important question do i have do i have to have had seen the previous transformers movie to to watch this one it will make no more or less sense if you have seen the the others i have seen all of them um but it's uh they none of them it the thing it is completely nonsensical but it is a it is such an orgy of nonsensical spectacle that it kind of, you know, as as Mel Brooks would say, you know, Mel Brooks would say it rises below vulgarity. Um, <laughs> my my feeling about the Transformers movie, the last Transformers movie was that it was just so, I mean, the number of insane things in it combined to make something that I just I've in its own way, I found to be just as awe inspiring as Alien Covenant. But I also <laughs> Uh, I don't know that I can in good conscience actually recommend it to any thinking human being. It's a very, uh, but it's just, it's just such a crazy movie. I mean, the the places it goes are so beyond wild. Um, So I was kind of, I was, I was left kind of in awe of, of Michael Bay's, uh, shameless audacity shall we say <laughs> well I, I tell you what i can i can bring transformers and and the uh prometheus to a full circle in that uh 2009 james cameron did avatar using these revolutionary 3d cameras as we all know and that kicked off the 3d boom the the mm-hmm. let's see the third 3d boom as i put it because we had a 3d boom in the 50s and then in the early 80s and then you know i think cameron kicked it off again uh and yeah. so so many films were post converted into 3d uh ridley scott used 3d cameras to shoot a lot of prometheus 
He was mm-hmm. one of the, and, and then Michael Bay was one of the only other directors to use 3D cameras to shoot some of the subsequent Transformers sequels. So if yeah. there's something that those films share in common is they're one of the few films that were shot using actual 3D cameras versus a post-conversion. Yeah, and I will say the 3D in the last Transformers movie was pretty impressive. Okay, uh, two two questions just to end this real quick. Do we get the third Alien prequel? You know, I don't know. He, I know Ridley Scott wants to do it. I know if you go to IMDb, uh, I you know it is listed as you know in pre-production for two thousand to for two thousand nineteen release. I have no idea if that's really uh, going to happen or not because he's got a lot of. Um, if you go to Ridley Scott, Scott's IMDb page, there's several, you know, quote, announced and pre-production movies. But supposedly, uh, you know, it's on there and, and I know he wants to do it. But I also know the last one didn't make as much money as, you know, they wanted it to. So I, I, I don't know. I hope I hope if he has new things to do with them, he gets to keep making them as, as long as he wants to. But we'll see. Are there any questions you want answered? No, I think that's that's uh, good. Out of Alien Covenant, as far as there, is there anything you you feel... You're just ready for, I mean, is he literally, do you think he's going to do what Rogue One did and literally bring us right to the point of, I'm just speculating here. I'm just, yeah, no, that's he, a great he'll, question. He'll bring I, us right to the point of the beginning of Alien 1979. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that might, I truly, again, both of the prequels he's done have in certain ways been unexpected for me. So I, I really don't know where he's going to go with it. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, Jim, uh, people want to follow you on Twitter. Uh, your social media website what are the addresses yeah it's uh jimmy hemphill is the twitter and then um they can go to jimhemphillfilms.com and get you know see my articles interviews and read about my movies all that kind of stuff excellent excellent well listen thank you oh trouble with the truth still playing on amazon yep that's probably the best way to watch watch it it's on amazon prime you can also find it's it started to pop up on a number of you know it's it's I'm discovering these platforms I didn't even know existed. There's something called Tubi, T-U-B-I dot com that it's on that you can watch it free. You can watch it free there on YouTube if you don't mind sitting through a few commercials or you can watch it on uh, Amazon Prime free if you get if you're a Prime member. Um, And then it's on DVD and iTunes and all those places, too. Excellent. Well, listen, Jim, thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for discussing uh, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. I know that you and I sit in the I guess we sit in the minority of people that. Well, in the case of Prometheus, I love Prometheus, and in the case of Alien Covenant, I, I I really do enjoy the film, and I more than anything, I've got a lot of respect for the film. Um, so thanks, thanks for coming on. No, thanks for having me. The How Is This Movie podcast is produced by Dana Buckler for Hidden Productions, located in Ocala, Florida. Please follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at How Is This Movie. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash howisthismovie. Of course, you can always email the show with questions or comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, to become a monthly supporter of this podcast and gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else, go to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. You'll find Find all the links to our social media in this episode's show notes.